Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros. This is Rob Spee. I am your host and founder of Channel Journeys. Thank you for listening. It is fall in Georgia. We're having beautiful weather here, great bike riding this time of year, and really exciting. The kids will be finally going back live full-time classroom at school here in our county here in Atlanta. So that's really good news. I am also super excited to announce I have a new sponsor for Channel Journeys, Magentrix. They are a specialist in Salesforce web portals based out of Toronto, Canada. I had a look at their technology, and it is super impressive how easily and quickly you can stand up a portal, whether it's for customers or for your partners. Even nonprofits use it for member and donor registrations, event management, and things like that. But I'm most interested in what Magentrix can do as a partner portal integrating bidirectionally with all the data that you have in Salesforce. So I want to thank Magentrix for your sponsorship. Super excited to have you be part of Channel Journeys. And we'll be talking more about Magentrix and what it can do in, in upcoming episodes. Well, now on to today's show. We have a great topic today. We're going to talk about MSPs, but not your mom-and-pop variety MSP. We're talking about very strategic managed service providers who can license your software-as-a-service or platform-as-a-service offering, bundle it up with their services, and, and provide it all as a managed service to your customers. This is a huge opportunity, but if you don't do it correctly, it can cause all types of internal and external channel conflict. So I've got an awesome guest today who's going to break this all down for us. Tony Beller is the Senior Vice President of Worldwide Partner Ecosystems at TIBCO, and Tony has an impressive resume as a former head of global alliances and channels at companies like Salesforce, ServiceNow, and Anaplan, where he launched and built their MSP channels and programs. So he knows a lot about this. This is something we're actually working on now at OutSystems, and you may be considering building an MSP channel as well. So this is a great episode for all of us. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Tony, good afternoon. Welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Rob. Yourself? I am fantastic. Great to chat with you. We're just getting to know each other, and I'm really excited to, to discuss this topic today with you. First off, where are you hunkered down? I'm in Chicago, Illinois. And that's where you live? That's where I live. All right. Excellent. Well, I'm down in Atlanta and wanted to talk to you about a topic around MSPs. And this is a channel that I think there's a huge opportunity in. And you and I chatted about this a little bit before. I know you've got a ton of experience. And that's one of the reasons why you've got a new gig, right? You've just landed yourself at TIBCO. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, three weeks in. Three weeks. Well, real quick, give us a high-level pitch, the elevator pitch of, of who is TIBCO and what, why did they hire you? What are you going to be doing there? So TIBCO is a technology company. We were founded uh, probably about you know two decades ago. We focus in three areas and we divide it in three categories. First, we call Connect. Uh, think of uh, an integration platforms, connecting multiple <clears throat> systems together, moving data around. Secondly, we call it Unify. The second category is Unify, which is our MDM and data virtualization components and products. And then lastly, we call Predict, which is basically our analytics uh, platform, Spotify and others. 
So our basically, I go to market is we call connect, unify, and predict. What I do here, I'm the senior vice president of the partner ecosystem and our OEM channels. I also run our JasperSoft sales team. I came here. One is I've always admired Tipco as a company. They were one of the, the first integration companies back in the day, helping connect banks together, right? The, you know, back in the, in the 90s or 2000s when banks couldn't transact with each other, Tipco came with this integration bus, right? Mm-hmm. I always admire the company. Secondly, the leadership. I admire a lot of them. I personally work for uh, our CEO, Dan Streeman, when I was at Salesforce, and I have a high respect and admiration for him, and I know he'll take uh, Tipco to uh, high places. So that's what I do, and that's why I'm here. All right. Congratulations. So you guys work together at Salesforce. So Salesforce really broke the mold for SaaS as a company, right? As a, as a business model and a way to sell software. And now that's the model that we're all adopting. And MSPs can play a very specific role in that in your, as part of your channel. But first off, maybe we can just define for the audience, what do we mean by MSP? Because I think people have maybe different views of who is an MSP. <laughs> yeah, that is a fantastic question. Uh, that Funny enough, uh, Rob, I, I find myself explaining to a lot of executives. In my, in my last, <laughs> I had to explain to our CEO five times. Our CFO never, probably never got it. I think finally he got it. But an MSP, you know, stands for managed service provider, right? And so there's the simple definition is a, a, any company or vendor that outsources or outtasks pieces or functions of the enterprise out out of the enterprise, right? It could be. And, and traditionally, they were known as, as BPLs. I think BPLs back in the 90s kind of got a, a bad reputation and it kind of morphed into managed service providers because now they have a higher value offerings that they bring to the market. An example could be someone you know, not only outsourcing an IT function, but they may outsource also finance. Believe it or not, some companies are starting to outsource like FP&A functions out of the enterprise. And that comes with value-added services. And all that tends to be powered by by technology and platforms like like Debco. And there have to be a, different tiers of MSPs because there on one hand there are over 100,000 MSPs who are tend to be more of those break fix companies who have migrated that into a service and they might be managing a customer's infrastructure. Is that the target audience that you're going after or is your much a much higher level of MSP that has a much higher level of of sophistication or higher degree of services? Yeah, we uh, uh, typically I like to go to the after the the, the higher level of, of of sophistication that actually build a a a broader offering to take to market. You know, just to give you, uh, I've done a lot of research on this, and and I paid you know uh, quite a bit of money to kind of do some analysis in the industry. And just to give an example, the the MSP ecosystem globally, or the the mar- the market size globally, is about you know sixteen billion dollar. A market globally, right? Of that, about fifty percent of that is is is, is moving to the cloud, is, is cloud mm-hmm. related, and then they divide it up by by industry and then and then sub subcategories. But it, it's a really large market and it's growing. It's growing about a you know about between fourteen to fifteen percent CAGR year on year. North America is, is a high growing market. Probably the fastest growing market for MSP is is Asia Pacific. And in and, and Europe, so uh, and growing very rapidly. If you look at the top MSPs globally that I've researched, uh, and you know, and this is kind of Forrester and IDC and, and, and other publications like that, in, in the top tiers, you have companies like Accenture, Atos, 
HCL, Emphasis, you know, companies of that of that size that tend to be <laughs> global, and then they again they bring value added services on top of what they're outsourcing to to uh, to their clients, and that they tend to be. They typically don't just have one technology underneath. Uh, they typically have multiple multiple technologies they bring to the market. So it's a very interesting market, high growth. And I think you know what we saw this year with COVID is a lot of companies realize that you know with the workforce moving you know to work from home and and, and all that, a lot of companies started looking relooking at the, the outsourcing as a, as a viable way of doing business. Because, you know, as they plan for another pandemic or so, they, they'd rather outsource it to someone else so they, their, their business, their functions are safe. Yeah. And from the vendor side, too, I sit on several channel boards and we've, we've asked some questions about, you know, which channels of yours are growing or you expect to grow and which are shrinking. And MSP always pops up in an area that people are investing in and looking at to grow and expect to grow as part of their channel. And then uh, some other traditional channels like their reseller channel are areas that are VAR channel they see dropping. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think if I look at the, the the multiple types of channels, I think the MSP is probably the the one that can produce more for you know technology company like ours because again, those value added services they tend to be much bigger, more transformational than a traditional just buyer or resell, right? Yeah, I mean, some bars and some resellers they do add value add, <laughs> does the the name bar right MSP. They are selling a much larger solution because they're taking out sometimes it's not just technology, but they're taking out process and people, right? And so mm-hmm. they're, they're more functional and, and and valuable to to the enterprise. And how does MSP then differ from the OEM partner, the OEM channel? That's a great question, uh, Rob. I find that commercially they're they're very similar because basically what you're doing you're embedding technology inside an offering, right? An offering could be a solution, it could be, you know, a process, whatever that that might be. And you're doing the same thing with an OEM, right? So both you're, you're embedding technology into, into a solution. So commercially, they're very similar. Typically, in MSB, you take, you're charging for the entire platform. OEMs, you can do the same thing, or you can just charge royalties, right? So they're a little different in that sense. But commercially, they're very, very similar. You're basically renting, <laughs> you're renting a technology to uh, a third party. And typically, the OEM is embedded into a, into a product, tends to be more product-oriented. MSP tends to be more service-oriented, does the name. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. So at TIPCO, are you building a MSP program or channel from scratch, or do they have an existing MSP channel? So we today, um, we have an OEM, and we call it here ASP. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's the same thing. So we do have that channel in place. They both exist within our uh, OEM sales uh, sales organization, which you know I I acquired, and, and we're merging uh, with the other with our VARP channel and other uh, parts of the organization. So we do have an existing MSP channel now. Is we it hasn't been defined as a program per se, and but that's something that I'm, I'm definitely looking to to evolve. Okay, so if I'm a vendor without an MSP channel yet. How do I start? Where would you start? And you've done this. You've did a lot of work with MSPs in, in your past lives at other companies. Where should I start in building this out? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, first of all, you, you got to find where the niche and where in which the technology is going to play, right? So I'll give you an example of, you know, my, my previous uh, company, you know, it's a planning tool, very heavy into finance. 
very heavy into certain industries. So find where, where your technology is going to play well, because again, it's going to serve to, to power a, an offering that serves a certain market, market uh, or industry, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of uh, step number one. Number two, MSPs, any MSP, for them, it's a margin business, right? So the, they sell their, their offering and anything that is powering their offering, whether it's people or a technology, they have to make margins on that. And that's how they make their money. So it has to be a high margin business. So as a, as a vendor, you need to think of how you're going to price your product to, to sell to those MSPs. You also have to be willing to, that typically those MSPs you know, tend to, to, to pre-purchase a lot of licenses to get higher discounts. So figure out process-wise how you're going to enable, you know, do a big purchase. And then how do you, on the back end, how do you, you know, potentially there's provisioning, provisioning issues on the software, you know, as they provision the product to different customers, obviously rev rec issues. So you have to look at all those processes from the back end when they do a big pre-purchase. We do that today here at Dipco with our OEM. We uh, we allow a lot of pre-purchase software. So when you're looking at margin, you know when you're looking at building out a channel, if it's a sales channel or services channel, oftentimes you're you're talking about services drag, right? So for every dollar of software, you get two, three, five, ten, whatever dollars of of services. Is that the same metric that MSPs are interested in to you know as they map out the the margin and that they can make on your on building a service offering around your product? It's very similar. I mean, you, you think of, I'll give you an example. You know, Accenture has an offering they call the CFO offering, right? So they, they go to an enterprise, let's say a Honeywell, and they, they'll sell this, the CFO offering. And they can basically take anything out of, the, out of finance, from FP&A to payroll to anything of like that they can outsource, right? And so as they, they charge the customer, and by the way, some of this, some of this outsourcing bit, the, the deals are like, you know, in the hundreds of millions. Mm-hmm. They they typically charge annually, right? So like just like a subscription, and so and when they have to pay the vendor like us, you know, in a in a subscription model, you know, that comes off the top. They typically don't charge until the service is, is completed. So they typically, you know, we vendors like to charge upfront, and they charge at the end of the service, right? On a, maybe an annual basis or whatever that is. So for them, is they carry the cost of the software for a period of time before they get paid. And so, you know, even for bigger vendors, you know, they, the, the, the margin comes in two ways. One is the, the length of the time they, they're going to carry the cost of the software to, to provide a service. And two, you know, the differential between how much they charge the customer minus the, the cost of operating, which is the software and the people. And is, when you're selling to the MSP as the vendor, is your, is your pricing per customer just like you would do in a standard sale to a customer? You're, you're charging that MSP per customer? Typically not. Typically, I mean, you, you have to do, um, this is kind of, from my perspective, the, the fun part to selling to, a, <laughs> to an MSP is that their requirements tend to be a lot different than you know, what it would be for a single customer because they're serving multiple customers, right? So you have to think, you have to put into a few things into consideration. One is typically the outsourcer, the MSP, uh, which is another point that I was going to make is that you have to be willing to let the MSP basically white label your technology, right? At a very minimum, or at the max, you know, you can enforce that they have to say it's powered by your technology, but most of the time they, they won't do that. They just want to white label everything underneath. And so to answer your question more specifically, they, you know, they have to be able to, 
allow them to run things, for example, in a almost multi-tenant way. So for example, if you sell to a customer, you know, you need, let's say, an admin license to, to manage that the instance. So an MSP will probably want an admin license to admin to administer multiple instances or multiple customers at the same time. So right there, the price goes off the goes out the window because it's not the same pricing structure that you would do with an end customer, right? So you you have to come up with a special, a different MSP pricing structure. I would almost expand that to almost a a new, almost a, a new packaged you know pricing or new pack offering. I mean, we used to do custom SKUs. You know, we did, we actually created an MSP SKU in my last uh, job. And then uh, at ServiceNow, we also have custom SKUs or, or MSP okay. SKUs. So it's a different SKU because they, they're using the technology differently. I even seen at ServiceNow, there was even a, a product manager that literally had to be a different product line just to serve the MSPs because that was a very large, it's, very, it's a very large channel there. And so the technology had to be modified to address the MSP needs. Interesting. So different SKUs. And are we talking hundreds of SKUs because everyone's different or do you have some standardization? I, I would say standardization. Now, I would caveat that, that it also depends on your product, right? So for example, us, Dipco, we, we have a lot of, we sell a lot of products, right? Uh, we are, you know, uh, over a billion dollar company. We have a lot of products. So it's probably, it will be more difficult to kind of just standardize one SKU. So we're probably need multiple SKUs. Uh, in a company like, like Anaplan, where I was, you know, they really just sell one, one, a platform, a product. There's just only one SKU. Uh, ServiceNow also has multi multi products. They only out, they only sell their platform to the MSPs. So it's really just one SKU. So it really all depends on the product they're selling and the company. But you want to make it really easy for the MSP to buy. That's interesting. Um, at OutSystems, we develop SKUs for uh, we have like four or five different partner agreements um, that are part of our order process. So it's just to extend that, we could have the MSP SKUs that are tied to the product pricing. Right. Yeah, cool. So what what types of partners and companies do you think you're going to be targeting at Tibco? We talked a little bit about that, but do you have some in, some specifics that you're going after, like the you know the Indian WePro type firms or the GSIs or, or even, you know, is there a tier or a level down below that? Yeah. So we already have, I'll answer your question more specifically, but let me kind of back up a little bit. So we already have we already have a a pretty large ecosystem. We have about a thousand partners, you know, give and take in our ecosystem, and it's composed of you know some 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 GS some big GSIs. We have you know obviously OEM partners. We have ISVs. We have some technology partners, AWS, Azure, Google, or GCP. We have quite a few resellers of ours. We have a handful of distributors. We obviously have quite a few regional system integrators. So we have, you know, we have the, the full gamut, for, for lack of a better term. So what are we going to focus? I think we, we need to do a better job at engaging with the big GSIs. I think if I look at our peer group and technology, you know, the engagement with the GSIs is a lot broader and bigger in a bigger way. We have partnerships with all of them, and I think we need to invest a, a little more. You know, companies like Accenture, you know, KPMG, PwC, companies of, of that sort. The Indian-based GSIs, you know, the Wipros, Infosys, TCS, HCL, Tech Mahindra. We already partnered with them actually in a big way, <clears throat> in a very big way. I think the focus there and, you know, one of the strategies that we're setting for our next fiscal year, which 
and it's just, it starts in three months, so we are in a Q4, is to just how do we leverage that ecosystem that primarily goes to market vertically or by industry? How do we leverage their, their industry expertise, build solutions on top of our products to take the market together? It might be just a simple accelerator or as an OEM or an MSP solution, right? And so there'll be a focus for us. How do we grow th- those relationships through those, those partnerships? We'll de- we're definitely going to grow, probably enhance our VARs and resellers. We have a lot of them that are very focused on one area of the product. I explained to you earlier how we go to market with our connect, unify, and predict product categories. Because of our history, we have a lot of partners that, that, that specialize in the connect, but not so much in unify or, or predict. And so we're probably going to focus on how do we add more VARs and resellers and SIs that have expertise in those two areas, or even look at the existing ecosystem and how do we enable them to expand and into those categories, which, you know, is good for, is good for them because they grow their business and obviously good for us because they, they get to sell more of our technology. Do you think many of those resellers, VARs will actually become MSPs and, and adopt that model? Some of them, if I look at what we have today, we have a lot of resellers that can, I'll say, I'll say in the mid-size to small you know, resellers. I think that, you know, and some of them are very large distributors, like Ingram Micro or CDW. They, they, really, they really don't go to market like that. <clears throat> um, but I, I think uh, there's another category of them that they would, de- I think they will definitely go MSB or, or OEM eventually. <laughs> yes. So whenever you introduce a new channel, channel conflict is always a possibility. So let's dive into that potential channel conflict with MSPs. And um, what I've seen is, you know, you, you, you ramp up this MSP and they could be selling into accounts that, and you may not even have knowledge of who they're selling into. And then another partner or your direct rep is in that account trying to sell your product in more the traditional way. And in comes the, the SI, the GSI or whoever offering a, a managed service with your platform. That's where the where you can have collision. How do you manage that? Oh, that never happens, Rob. Come on. <laughs> Not in your world, no, Tony. <laughs> no, you're right. I think, uh, you know, typically... With MS- it is a good problem to have, though, first, isn't it? That you... Yes. Yes and no. And let me explain, right? So you're right. Typically, the channel conflict with MSPs is between the MSP and your own internal <laughs> direct self-organization. Randomly, you know, I'll say seldom, uh, you'll see conflict between MSPs. And typically, the conflict with MSPs is if you don't have the right MSP program with the right pricing structure. One of my my companies, I will, I, I will spare the name of the company, when I joined, I had an MSP in Europe that had a 95% discount on products, some bad deal that was done years before I, I, I got there. And he could outsell pretty much any MSP in the globe or any sales rep in the globe. So literally. <laughs> and so to answer your question, a couple of things. One is, you could do two things. One, one is the latter is what I what I prefer. All, all the restricts a little bit the reach and of the, the MSPs that you build. But the first one is you know is you know just implement a sort of a double comp model. It can be expensive. So when you're building the MSP initially, you want to reduce that conflict because then MSPs will run away, right? It'll go to a competitor. It's a double comp uh, model where in which you pay you know whoever's managing the MSP. Because the MSP typically will, will need, you know, need to have someone managing the MSP relationship, an MSP sales rep, let's call it. And then also come the, the rep that owns the end customer relationship. So if the MSP is selling, let's say, to the Bank of England, 
a solution that contains your, your technology, you want to ask the, the MSP to let you know where they're selling so that you, you can then comp the rep on Bank of England so that they, one, back off so they don't, they're not selling against the MSP, and, and two, they, they get paid, right? So at least they, they get paid. Now, believe it or not, that still causes channel conflict because the sales rep will say, well, I could have sold that deal bigger. And the MSP, because they're the discounts, they they sold they they it's I got less out of my pocket. The reality is they still got money, they still got paid, and it's good for the company, good for everyone. The latter is, you know, what I did in my my last company, just because CEO was ex CFO, a little more conservative. One, we didn't allow them to to white label, so the technology had to be front and center, and they had to advertise that was powered by by their technology. Secondly, we. We didn't allow pre-purchases, so they every time they wanted to sell their solution to a customer, they had to come to us for their order form. So you knew that way you knew who they were selling to. Correct. Correct. Now, gotcha. We didn't tell them exactly when they, they needed to tell us. They could they could tell like literally the day before they were selling their, their 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 piece, but at least we knew. And so by us knowing, you know, we could alert the the sales rep and say, hey, you know, this MSB is selling this deal to this to this customer. One, you're going to get paid. Two, let's try to collaborate with that MSP so we can then work on an expand. So we, in our agreements, we first of all we, we were not planning to build a, you know, two thousand MSPs kind of channel. It was a very 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 specific, you know, ten to fifteen top MSPs in the globe with very high value added offerings, and then we said. You gotta let us know, you know, who you're selling to, and then we want the collaboration with you after you, after the sale to help us expand. The strategy was it was an expand strategy, so we create a collaboration type of model where the MSP came and said we're gonna sell our solution to let's say Black and Decker, and then as they were selling to Black and Decker their solution, our sales rep on the field they, he knew that he was gonna get that deal anyway, so he started working with that MSP, which also, was also GSI as an example. And collaborate on how it would expand into other areas in, in, in the company with that MSP slash GSI. So, so that, you, you would you would recommend double comping at least as you get started. Yeah, I mean it could be a very expensive model. I mean, if you look at some companies, again, I won't name that name of the companies. I mean, when you have a, when you sustain a model like that, it's super expensive. You know, you end up having you know 11, 12 people getting paid on a single deal. That can be pretty expensive. I mean. Some companies are okay with that. Some companies not so much. But, so, but I, I mean, I was in my last company again, CEO, ex CFO. I was able to convince them to like at least the first year should be a double count model, and then after that, you know, reassess, you know, where where the channel was, and then potentially take it away. But at least initially, first year, as as you grow the, you get the first MSPs going and get the the field kind of used to that channel. You have to work with that channel. It's I suggest a double count model. Again, I I would highly suggest the, that collaboration piece because you don't want the sales rep. If you take the the double comp away, you still want the sales rep to know how to work with the MSP to at least go work with the MSP and expand into other areas. Yeah, no, good point. And what about deal registration? Does that play a role at all in the MSP channel? In the model, in the second model that I, that I told you, where we want the MSP to tell you who the customer is, there's a level of Deal registration. I've never seen an MSP actually using a deal registration system per se. That you know, the same one they use for the for the rest of your partners. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I typically have seen it where they have an MSP 
channel salesperson, he, he or she is the one who's getting the, the orders from, from the MSP or the name of the customers. And that's how they get, they get, they get registered in the backend through, through the channel manager. Okay. Yeah. Not, not your traditional channel deal, Rich. No, especially if you're working with the, the, the big, the big, let's call it the big 10 MSPs, you know, like an Accenture or Natos. I mean, they're not going to go into deal reg because <laughs> what they have to do, Rob, is register, you know, potentially 25. Deal, yeah. Right? Because they have, you know, their, their offering is literally powered by that many technologies. They're not, they're not going to, it's just more, more cost to them. So you've you've used both models. It sounds like more of a white label where you're not necessarily knowing who the customers are, um, versus this model where you know each and every one they go into. Do you have a preference of of which which model a, a vendor should take? Well, this is the Tony Beller, uh, <laughs> the Tony Beller preference. I I think it's okay to I think uh, white labeling is okay because most of them they, they, the white label, but I think you should definitely construct the agreement that you need to know who the end customer is because. You know, one is you want to know where, where your product is, right? One. And then, and then two, you, you, you know, they have your product, you know, you can go and expand. You know, ideally, I like, I would prefer to say it's powered by, you know, say Tipco in this case, but, you know, it's not always possible. But I definitely, you know, I'm a huge proponent of knowing who the end customer is. I'll give you the example, the, the other extreme example. Same company where they have this, this partner that had 95% discount. It also happened that that partner in Europe, you know, held 1.2 million licenses, and we didn't know where those licenses were. We just knew that they were they were owned by the MSP, and they were <laughs> working somewhere, who knows where. And that that caused uh, so many issues, especially down the road uh, with re- revenue recognition, and especially uh, a public company. It, that's that's a that's a rough one to, to, to swallow and to explain to the to the street and to the analysts. Yeah. And I, I think there's a difference too, Tony. I remember having, I had Rob Ray from Datto on the show early on, and we were talking about his MSP channel, which is a very different MSP. You know, he is, he's working with a lot of those smaller MSPs. He's got thousands of them and his, you know, backup recovery type solution is a very high volume play. Yeah. And so he was much less concerned about who the end customers were. He's just selling volume and he's done a very good job in building that channel, but that's a different MSP channel than what, than what you and I are talking about. Absolutely. Uh, very, di- very different. And yeah, there's there's thousands of MSPs. Uh, uh, Microsoft has tens of thousands of MSPs. There's literally, you know, three guys on a pickup truck and a nerd card. Right. <laughs> really running, running, you know, Azure, you know, at doing MSP on, on you know, you know, Microsoft 360. And so they, they do, there's a lot of little of those. And that's high volume play. And there possibly, you know, deal registration and stuff is probably, you know, works better, but they're smaller. They, they'll... They'll be willing to to do more of that. Typically, they just out there just you know using one or technologies versus the big boys in the game, <laughs> which is really what we're where we want to target. You know, they're not going to do that. And you got they deal with so many products. They're master procure you know procurers of software. It's a different type of a, a sell for sure. Yeah, and like you said, they have contracts that are hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Let's jump to partner programs. So let's say I'm that vendor. I've got my traditional channel program that I'm using for my, my VARs, my resellers, my SIs. Now I'm introducing an MSP channel. Can I just bolt that onto my partner program? Do I need a different MSP program or do I need a program at all? Let me, let me walk backwards from that question. So I, okay. I, I think you definitely need an MSP program, primarily because you know I saw it you know, when I had that 
95%, you know, $1.2 million license problem at that company. Uh, and they had a lot of, you probably had about three, 400 MSPs. And so some MS, not all MSPs are, are made equal, right? And so some of them add more value than others. Some of them sell more of your product than others. And reality thing, some MSPs, you know, they, they will sell their, their solution and they will give the option to the end customer to say, hey, I can give you this, let's pick a, a function, you know, payroll or FP&A. Yeah, I can take your payroll out and I can use, you know, this, off, this, this, this technology, this technology, this technology. They have a preference. Mm-hmm. And, then, and so you want those MSPs to push your solution or your, 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 your product in all of their, their, their solutions and all their, their transactions, right? And so you want to incentivize them, right? And, and the way you incentivize them is giving them more margin, which is, you know, discounts, right? And so you want to build definitely a program that incentivizes that behavior. And then what I've done in the past is build a, a tier, tiering, your, your traditional tier model where you, you bring this much or this many deals or this much, this much revenue, then you get this much discount. And if you get to the next tier, you get, you get much discount and then so on and so forth probably three or four discount tier with levels of discount. So that's the program. You got to be careful with those discounts because those some of those big companies, they'll just buy their way into the highest tier. They'll come in and say, okay, well, I'll buy, I'll buy $20 million of licenses and give me the highest discount. <laughs> and then you're- What's in, wrong with that? What's wrong with that is that they buy the license and they shelf them. And then, then you know, a year later, they come back and say, well, I didn't use your licenses. And, you know, um, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> That could be a problem. Which is actually a worse problem than 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 the the, the first problem, right? So you want to create the right right incentives to them for them to utilize the licenses to to have their, to and push the licenses to the end customers all within the program, right? Incentives are kind of that, and you you can incentivize them with you know training and you know a bunch of other stuff that you can incentivize. So that program, absolutely, I think I'm a firm believer of. Any alliance organization, partner ecosystem organization has to have a, a strong partner program. And the partner program is the, the governing uh, entity that governs, you know, how the partners are, are treated or compensated, how the teams are compensated, how, you know, the, all the behaviors that happen around the, the partner ecosystem outside and inside and out are should be governed by the partner, by the partner program. So with that, Simple philosophy. I also believe that the MSP should be part of the partner program. I whether you have a you know some partner some partner programs are more sophisticated or more sophisticated or more complex than others. I believe in having you know a partner program that have maybe two or three subcategories. Maybe one is a sales the sales category. Within the sales category, you plug in your MSP reseller and, and OEM, and that and that's kind of just you know capabilities under the sales under the sales function and then you have a delivery function and you have maybe a technology function in your partner program and then you know a partner you know and what that does to me is that you want partners to do more for you right so meaning more like different models yeah so you want them to evolve to do that so you may have a partner that starts as a delivery you know partner and then they're growing fast enough and they say, you know what? I also want to, you know, MSP your stuff. And you get the the MSP is just another thing they pick off the menu from the program. Yeah. And also we an OEM and I want to, so when you have those mega partners kind of doing all those things for you, they're truly mega partners and they, they have a huge impact. I've seen, you know, some of those mega partners typically tend to be a handful of them. They tend to drive probably 40 to 50% of 
the entire partner business, right? If they if they invest that heavy and you invest back in them, that can be a you know big big business for you. And what about enablement, sales and technical enablement? Do you make that part of the program? Is that free to the MSP? Or is there anything that you charge them for in terms of ramping them up? <laughs> the MSPs don't want to pay for anything. <laughs> <laughs> I really believe that training should be something that you you give to MSPs or partners at a discounted rate, if not free. Mm-hmm. But, but then what you charge for is a certification. And I think uh, a certification of your product. And I think certification should be paid for. And it should be mandatory. And even for MSPs, I mean, MSPs, you know, they are going to have, you know, typically, you know, and I, you know, potentially hundreds, if not thousands of customers. And you want to make sure that whatever they're building on your technology is is solid, especially if if it's not white label or, or if the end customer is seeing your logo on the screen, that they, they're building something solid, right? And my last gig, you know, we, we they, they had to be, they had to have a minimum number of certifications in order to launch a product. And we require them that before they launch any new offering, they had to be, had to be certified by, by the vendor, as an example. Did you create new special MSP certifications or were those the same technical certifications that other partners would get? The, the same technical certifications that, that what I created is the, that certifying the solution. Mm-hmm. Again, especially if you can't really rebrand the, the, the UI and then someone at the end, and the end, their end customer is going to see when they log in to whatever they're going to log in, they're going to see, boom, the Tipco logo or whatever logo, and they're going to know the technology. You want to make sure that that shows well, right? And so we force them to certify with that standard certification, and then we certified the solution. And by certifying the solution, you know, it doesn't have to be like an extensive process. It's really just making sure that architecturally is correct. They're using all this, the, 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 the right constructs. And when it shows to the end customer, something that, you know, we as a company would deploy ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Protecting your brand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Very cool. Well, that's a lot of, lot of detail on building an MSP. I'm going to got a few more minutes left, Tony, just jumping track a little bit. I always like to talk to with my guests about their channel journey and how you even got in the channel in the first place. And your personal journey is pretty interesting. You told me last time we spoke that you, uh, you were actually born in Paris and grew up in Mexico. Yes, sir. That's quite a, quite a history. When, how old were you when you left France? Four, four years old. Do you remember it at all? I don't remember France. I mean, obviously, I got to Mexico and I didn't speak a word of Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> was your first language French or English or? French. And French, then, okay. And I had to learn Spanish because I went to school and then I went to Spanish-speaking school. So I had to learn it the hard way. I always spoke French at home with my parents and Spanish at school. And then, and then my, my dad had a, you know, a heavy, you know, had an internet, a global role. And so we... We travel a lot to a lot of countries, so I had to learn English very quickly. So I grew up uh, trilingual. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. What did your dad do? He was he ran airport operations for Pan American Airlines. Ah, okay. And is that what took you to to Chicago? No, that's what took me to took us to Mexico from France. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but took me to to Chicago. Actually, took me to to the U.S. from Mexico. I finished college and interview with an insurance company, Principal Financial Group, based out of Des Moines, Iowa. Mm-hmm. They had an open an office in Mexico interview with the CIO. She saw that I spoke you know, multiple languages and she hired me, but she hired me in Des Moines. So I, my first <laughs> land was in the, from Mexico City, the, one of the largest cities in the world, to 
the Mona Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bit of a, a transition for you. Some culture shock? Culture, a little culture shock from, uh, you know, have to wear slacks and <clears throat> nice shoes to overalls. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the classic channel outfit of, of overalls. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you, you went into more consulting and professional services, it looks like, at Oracle before getting to, to Salesforce. Were you, is that Salesforce where you really started in the channel world? Yeah, I started my career in consulting. <clears throat> I did consulting, you know, from, you know, when I, when I literally, when I started, I own my own, then I had my own consulting company, the Inventive. I don't know if you remember that company it was at yeah. back in the nineties, yeah. then it got acquired by PeopleSoft. And then PeopleSoft acquired my, my little consultancy to become PeopleSoft, you know, uh, CRM professional services. So I ran okay. PeopleSoft CRM <clears throat> professional services for them. Then Oracle acquired PeopleSoft. I, I, I ran a portion of the professional services or consulting uh, business for Oracle. Then I went to Salesforce and I started running, you know, consulting, consulting for the, for the Midwest. And then I ran consulting for sales for North America. And that's when Mar Benioff brought in an executive at Salesforce, Maria Martinez, who now is at Cisco running customer success. They decided that the company was growing way too fast, Salesforce that is, to uh, to be able to, to keep up with the growth of you know a consulting group, and so they decided to flip the model to to add consulting you know consulting partners or RSIs, and so then they tap me and say, listen, you 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 know how to you know how to deliver and build a, a practice in in the, in the cloud. And we want you to to go teach partners how to do it. Because at the time, cloud was a new thing. You know, delivering the cloud was a new thing. No one, nobody knew how to do it. And so we had to teach new partners, including the GSIs, how to deliver in the cloud. That must have been, yeah, that was right at the forefront of this. Yeah. So they taught me to literally build the Salesforce partner ecosystem that they have today. That's cool. So you've been building cloud channels ever since. Yes, sir. That is really cool. Well, fantastic. Congratulations. That's quite a journey. Before we wrap up, any last word of advice to, to folks out there looking to build an MSP channel? Yeah. I mean, the, the three things I'll say, one is make it part of the program. Two, um, do the double comp, at least at least initially. I know it's expensive, but do the double comp uh, just to uh, reduce uh, channel conflict. And three, I would start with uh, just a very small set of partners. Uh, don't go that I mean, even if your product is high velocity or high, you know, high volume, you know, test, test the model out because there's a lot of learnings. There's a lot of things that MSPs can do to your back office that you, you're, you're not, you don't anticipate or even your product uh, that you don't So start, you know, with a two or three pilot it out for a year and learn and then, and then grow from there. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I can agree with that one. There are a lot of things you don't know when you start this that, uh, you want to figure out with just a few partners before you really expand it out. Great advice, Tony. Thank you so much for sharing all your expertise and, and best of luck of, for you at Dipco. Thank you so much. And my pleasure anytime. All right. Great, Tony. Take care. Thanks, Rob. All right, guys. So many great tips in today's show. One of the biggies, which may get you some pushback from your CFO, is to double or maybe even triple comp if you have to when you're first starting out building out your MSP channel team and program. You got to do that when you're first starting out to try to reduce that internal channel conflict that you can have between your MSP reps, your channel managers, your direct sales force. That's always something you've got to contend with. As always, you can find all the highlights and tips from today's show on my website at channeljourneys.com backslash CJ58. 
while you're there. Also, subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And again, if you enjoyed today's show, please go out and add a review on iTunes, wherever you're listening to this. Next show, I'll be telling you more about my new sponsor, Magentrix, and I'll be interviewing their head of sales to talk about some of the top channel management mistakes that vendors can make. Until then, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.